ION 2020, episode 20. Have 2020 vision with ION 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in. This is Ray Eaton. I am your host of Eye on 2020, the podcast that's bringing you all the news and all the happenings of the 2020 election as we move forward into November of 2020. Thanks for tuning your ears in today. I do appreciate all of my listeners, anyone that comes back and uh, continues to listen. I appreciate you as well coming back. And if you're a first time listener, uh, all I do is I take a libertarian perspective and uh, bring it to an evaluation of the candidates, the news, the events that are happening with regards to the 2020 presidential election. Uh, I am a libertarian and I'm proud of it. And uh, I really think that the libertarian view, I say that libertarian, not from the libertarian party view, but libertarian view as in a small L, I guess is what you'd call it. A small L libertarian, not a big L libertarian. Uh, I take that I take that view very seriously, and I really wanted to just start bringing out as much news as I can about the 2020 election, the candidates, uh, those people who are running, you know, and just take take apart their their ideas and share it with you. And that's what I'm going to be doing. That's what I've been doing for the last uh, 19 episodes, and now I'm at episode 20. And I just wanted to say that I appreciate you listening today. Go ahead and like the show, subscribe to the show, however your podcatcher allows you to do it. If you could also um, rate it, review it, send me a uh, a note or let me know how you think about it. And if you review it, you know, if it's five stars, that's great. Four stars, I, you know, I'm happy with that as well. One star, at least I got to take a critical look at what I'm doing and try to give you guys a better show. And that's my goal. Get better every day. And hopefully that's what I'm able to do. I think that my sound quality has gotten better since the first couple episodes I did. And I've been you know, trying to use less ums and ahs out there. Things like that. I'm not a professional at what I do. Obviously, you could probably tell that as it is. I'm just a regular guy who has a regular job that is a libertarian. And I just wanted to... I just always thought it would be a great idea to talk about the election and bringing people the news and the events that are happening, and that's what I've decided to do. Um, so here I am, and I appreciate you coming out and listening. Now, I think I'm going to jump right into what I wanted to talk about, and the reason why is because I was just going over some of the news and some of the events, and there wasn't too much happening. There's been, you know, a few candidates. I think this Betty, Beto, Beto O'Rourke guy over in Texas decided not to run and that's fine I don't think that I mean if he couldn't win if he definitely couldn't win Texas which Republicans typically are going to win Texas anyway but if he couldn't win Texas in the Senate race then he probably didn't have much of a chance but um to go up against some of these you know larger candidates like Elizabeth Warren 
and so forth that have already announced running and a few others that are possibly going to run as well uh you know there there is going to be a lot of Demo- there will be a lot of democrats that are going to be out there running for the presidential office uh to get that democratic nomination for 2020 and you know that that field is getting crowded as it is today i wanted to bring you some news some news that i heard regarding elizabeth warren and one of her proposals that she's come up with which i thought was it's telling on what she it, it, on what her solutions are going to be when she's when she's presenting solutions to the american people because politicians they always want to come up with their ideas on how their ways better than the other guys ways and so forth and not that when they get into office they're going to be able to get a lot of these things passed because they won't they'll find one signature issue or two signature issues that they're going to push for in the first hundred days or you know the first year or so in office but they usually don't get a lot of these pie in the sky ideas passed through and like even right now as i'm speaking donald trump is trying to get one of his main signature issues through which was the which was building the the southern border wall with mexico and he has the government closed down over it the democrats are fighting him on the issue and there we you know that's one of the things that he ran on he kind of put that on the back burner but now in order for him to get reelected, I think that he realizes he needs to take a huge stand to cover his base because they want that border wall. We got to build the wall, y'all. That's what they say, right? Um, so, but most politicians, they won't get everything that they promised done. They're going to promise a lot during the election. They're going to act like they have all these solutions. So that's more to make people rationalize in their own converse, the conversations that voters having their minds it's more for them to say oh yeah that makes sense maybe i should elect that person and elizabeth warren has this idea in her mind that she would like to create a wealth tax and what a wealth tax is is she's going to set up a limit or an amount i guess that if you make over i think it says 50 million dollars if you have 50 million dollars not that you earned but that just wealth that you've accumulated against net worth or maybe it's just the cash in your bank account i'm not sure but if you make 50 million dollars then they're going to tax it at two percent and if it's like a a billion dollars going to tax it at three percent so i just wanted to bring that up on this show today on the podcast today and the reason why is because we have to pick apart these politicians' views and their solutions from a libertarian perspective because even though that sounds all well and great, that is a foot in the door for the government to turn that wealth tax into even more. For example, whenever they decided to have a federal income tax, a lot of you may not even know this already, but back in the early 1900s, 1911 1912 there was no federal income tax whatsoever the most recent time that they did have a federal income tax was during the civil war and people were taxed maybe one percent of their total income to help pay for that war but the federal government 
previous to that and, and up until the early 1900s was the, the way that they raised their money was a few simple ways. And one of the main ways that, they, that the federal government got its money was through tariffs and collecting fees at ports, ports of entry. And that was it. That was one, some of the main ways that the federal government would get its money. But then in 1913, they passed the, the income tax. And this was an idea for years and years before that, that lots of progressive politicians would try to propose that they would just pass a small income tax and the American people hated the idea. So, I mean, some people, I'm sure, just like today, people are for things and people are against things, but in, you know, people are very resistant to change. But what the politicians said is that it would just be a tax on the, you know, the, the top 1% of people. And that's it. And it would be like a 1% or 2% tax. It was a very small tax on a very small amount of people in America. Over time, though, that tax got spread out to more and more people. To the point now, where today, everybody, the income tax is just a normal thing. It's the, it's the most... It's the one thing that my father, my father always said this. He says, you can't escape death and taxes. So, I mean, it's, it's just something that we believe is just a normal thing within our lives. The income tax. You go work all week, you get your paycheck, and you look at it, and you think that you, let's say you make $10 an hour, and you work 40 hours. You're expecting a paycheck for 400 bucks, and your paycheck's 300 bucks. And you say, what the hell happened? What on earth? What's going on? Where's my money? It's just, but people don't even question that anymore. They don't question it whatsoever. It's something that we just assume is part of our lives. But in, up until 1913, there was no income tax. So when Elizabeth Warren says, oh, it's just going to be the, uh, on the top, you know, one-tenth of one percent of people that are going to have this wealth tax, and it's not even an income tax. She's trying to not tax the income which she's for income tax as well, don't get me wrong. But she's, she says these super rich people, the people that are the most wealthy in America, they should be paying even more. And there's, there's arguments to be made on both sides that these people should be taxed or should not be taxed. These, people, these politicians are going to make their arguments. But what she's saying is that since there's so much wealth inequality in America that we should tax these ultra-wealthy ultra people on their wealth, not that income as well. So they're going to be taxed on their income, but they're also going to be taxed on their wealth, their accumulated wealth. And like I said, there's arguments made on both sides, but what Elizabeth Warren assumes in her mind is that just because these people are very wealthy that the government should take should confiscate their money at the at the use of force with guns essentially right her idea is that the government should take these people's money and somehow that's going to solve the problem of wealth inequality and that's her assumption is that just by the government taking it that that money's going to be used in a better way somehow i don't know so let me get into the article that I found, and that's what I wanted to talk about, is the article, and then I have a little bit of a rebuttal that I wanted to do with regards to this from some, uh, some articles that I found as well, because I think it's very telling of 
What she's looking at is the symptom of a problem. There is mass well, there is wealth inequality in America. <clears throat> it's a fact. There's the the middle class wage and the lower classes wages have not gone up significantly compared on a percentage basis compared to inflation and compared to the mass accumulation of wealth at the very top. And that's true. That's that's and when you look at the graphs, it's completely true. Republicans might deny it, or they might say the very wealthy, they're the jobs creators or whatever, and we shouldn't tax them because they're jobs creators. That has nothing to do with my point. My point is there is, a, there is stagnation of wages in the middle class, there's, but there's huge amounts of um, accumulation of wealth at the very top. That's the symptom of a problem, though. And what Elizabeth Warren's idea to do is she wants to just have the government come in and forcefully take their money. It's, it's ours. It's no longer yours. If you just try to fight it, then we're going to send the IRS agents in with guns and we will take your money, whether you like it or not. We will go to the banks and we will put holds on your money so that you can't have it. That's what they will do. It's, it's the use of force. So her idea is since there is a symptom, we're going to go ahead and just, just take it from you. And that is a symptom. There's a symptom. That is a symptom of a much larger issue, and that's what I wanted to get into. So let me jump into the article that I found with regards to Elizabeth Warren's ideas, uh, how it's framed within the article, and then I'll go ahead and do the quick rebuttal. Okay, so let's dig into this article. This is from the uh, Chicago Tribune, and the heading is Elizabeth Warren. The title is Elizabeth Warren to propose new wealth tax on very rich Americans, economist says. This is by Jeff Stein and Christopher Ingram of the Washington Post. And it says, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat Massachusetts, will propose a new annual wealth tax on Americans with more than $50 million in assets, according to an economist advising her on her plan as Democratic leaders vie for increasingly aggressive solutions to the nation's soaring wealth inequality. The two left-leaning economists of the University of California, Berkeley, have been advising Warren on a proposal to levy a 2% wealth tax on Americans with assets above $50 million as well as a 3% wealth tax on those who have more than a billion, according to Sayers. The wealth tax could raise $2.75 trillion over a 10-year period from about 75,000 families, or less than 0.1% of U.S. households. Like I said, getting back to what I said earlier, they're gonna get. that's a way for the government to get its foot in the door. It's only going to be... 75,000 families. It's not that big of a deal. We're only going to tax that wealth on those people. And that's it. Guarantee you, though, within, you know, that becomes a political issue going forward. The government has its foot in the door to be able to tax the wealth of people until at some point it's, well, you have a 401k that has $5 million in it that you're going to retire with. We're going to tax that too. To the Oh, you have $100,000 in the bank? We're going to tax that also. And that's just, the, that's just the nature of government, is it's designed to grow. Politicians will use anything they can to get their hands on your money. 
so they could use it to promise their constituencies other things. They have no skin in the game whatsoever. Politicians will have no skin in the game except that they can get reelected by handing out promises to people. So they're going to do anything they can to raise that money. $2.75 trillion over a 10-year period from 75,000 families. It's only the super rich. It's only the top one or top one-tenth of one percent. It's no big deal. Neither, but my, my main point when I say that is that's not the government's money. They're stealing it. It's confiscation from these people in the first place. Whether they deserve it or not, it's confiscation. They earned it, right? So, and, and is the government going to do a better job with that money than, than the wealthy people will? I don't know. Uh, I tend to think that the government will not do a better, better with that money. I mean, if a, if a, a multi-millionaire has, a, you know, $5 million, it's not just, he's not Scrooge McDuck in it, swimming around in gold in his basement. He hasn't invested in other things. He hasn't invested in assets, right? So in where the government, they seize it from people, and then it goes into the bureaucracy, and that's all it does. And a very little bit of it trickles back to the, back to the intended recipients because politicians and bureaucrats do not have the incentive to make sure that they use that money the best way that they can. So moving on. The Warren wealth tax is pretty big. We think it could have a significant effect on wealth concentration in the long run, Sayas said in an interview. This is a very interesting development with deep root causes. The fact inequality has been increasing so much, particularly in wealth, and the feeling our current tax system doesn't do a very good job taxing the very richest people. So all he's doing is talking about a root. He's not talking about a root to a cause. He's just talking about the symptoms of wealth inequality and that the government somehow isn't doing a good job taxing the richest people so we need to figure out ways to tax them better that's all they're saying it, it, so she has this great idea that she wants to tax these the wealthiest people um on their wealth it's pretty dramatic it's, it goes on quote it's a pretty dramatic change that shows how much the party has evolved it's not where everyone in the party is now, but it's an awful lot of people. And that's in reference to, you know, the amount of people in the Democratic Party now that would be in support of a wealth tax like this or a 70% tax on income of above $10 million that Alexandria Cosio cortez is in favor of. And a lot of the Democrats are now in favor of. That's just where the party is today. Um, and it's, you know, it's a dramatic change from where it was before. So Republic, it says Republicans are likely to seize on the plan as another example of Democrats looking to tax Americans hard-earned gains, even though it would apply to only a tiny percentage of the population. In their major tax overall passed in December 2017, Republicans significantly hiked the threshold for the federal state tax, attempting exempting estates with assets of 11.4 million or less from paying it. They have often referred to this provision which affects several families a year as the death tax. In recent decades, decades, the taxation of wealth has fallen out of favor in the world's richest countries. In 1990, 12 member countries of the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development imposed some form of wealth tax. 
nowadays it's only four, so it's fallen out of favor. And I think the reason why is because they must realize that it does it causes flight. It causes flight of capital, and that's when when you're going to be taxed on your wealth, then you're going to keep your wealth somewhere else in another country, because that's if if you had fifty million dollars sitting there and they were going to tax two percent of it. Then I think that they would def you would definitely want to move your money overseas, right? So anyway, Elizabeth Warren has this radical agenda, this radical plan that she's going to tax the wealth of these of these of a million the millionaires and billionaires over fifty million dollars and also over a billion dollars. And I just wanted to bring that up today. That to me, I just think that she has. That's a very radical plan, and it's something that is, to me, is just a foot in the door, and it does not address the cause of the issue. It addresses a symptom of the issue, which is the money that's flowing to the very top percentage of Americans, and there's a reason why, and that's what I wanted to get into. So why is there wealth inequality? Why is, uh, especially so much more today than it was back in the past, why is there so much, uh, why is it that the, the rich seem to be getting richer, but the, the middle class and the poor seem to have stagnated in some ways? Uh, when you look at the numbers, that is true. So let's get into the article that I found. This is from Mises.org. It's on Mises Wire, and it's uh, from 10th, or, uh, October 9th, 2018, Ryan McMacken. And the article's title is, The Fed's Easy Money Policies Aren't Helping Income Growth. Back in August, Bloomberg interviewed Karen Petrow about her research on quantitative, quantitative easing and the Fed's policies since 2008 financial crisis. What she has discovered has not been encouraging for people who aren't already high income. And in recent research presented to the New York Fed, she concluded Post-crisis monetary and regulatory policy had an unintended but nonetheless dramatic impact on the income and wealth divides. So she's saying that the federal, the federal Reserve's policy since the 2008 crisis has had unintended consequences on, these, on the wealth divides. So what she's getting at is that there's a lot to do with the Federal Reserve's policies not just greedy rich people hoarding all their money, but it's the Fed's policies is what she's getting at. This assessment is based on her own work, but also on a 2018 report released by the Minneapolis Fed. The report showed that both income and wealth growth in the U.S. have been much better for higher income households in recent decades. Notably, when indexed to 1971, the year Nixon ended the last link between gold and the dollar, we can see the disparity between the top wealth groups and other groups. Petro continues, What did we learn from the Minneapolis Fed report? This new data set shows clearly that U.S. wealth inequality is the worst it has been throughout the entire U.S. post-war period. We also now know that the U.S. middle class is even more hollowed out than we thought in terms of income, with any gains made by the lower middle class sharply reversed after 2007. Indeed, the report concludes, 
half of all American households have less wealth today in real terms than the median household had in 1970. Getting back to Elizabeth Warren's idea, she is talking about the problem and she's talking about a fix to the fix to the problem of just simply taxing the richest people but not but completely ignoring the root of the problem which is the federal reserve so a closer look at income data also suggests that income growth has been especially anemic since 2007 Using data from the Census Bureau's 2017 report on income and poverty, we find that incomes of the 90th percentile are increasingly pulling away from both the median 50 percentile income and from the 20th percentile income. So the graphs in the data show that there definitely is a huge disparity between wealth and equality, especially since the uh, 2008-2009 crisis. So moving forward, it says a little bit further down in the article, what role does the Fed have in all of this? As the Federal Reserve has become more interventionist, more inflationary, and more prone to regulate the private sector, incomes have stagnated. For example, gaps in wealth and income have been growing since the 1980s, but they worsened significantly over the past decade as monetary policy became more and more inflationary and activist. It's common knowledge that income inequality in the U.S. has been getting increasingly worse since 1980, but what we've been pointing out in some of my blog posts, this is Petro saying, is that it becomes hugely worse after the financial crisis. Were there, were there underlying issues pre-2008? Absolutely but we had more of a middle class even in 2006 than we do now. If you look at the Minneapolis Fed data, as well as many other analyses, growth in inequality happens gradually prior to 2008. Then it actually flattens out in 2008 because rich people lost money in the crash, which narrowed the inequality gap. But starting in 2010, the gap widens dramatically. The Fed did two things which, with huge inequality implications. First, with its massive quantitative easing, it sucked $4.5 trillion of assets out of the banking system. The idea was that it would empty out the bank balance sheets so they could, would start to make loans. And that didn't happen. Initially, the banks were too weak. And as they recovered, the rules created significant impediments. If you look at who is getting loans, it is the large corporations, not small businesses. Second, the Fed's low interest policy gave rise to a yield chasing. And what has the stock market done since 2010? Everybody who has money has seen their financial assets appreciate dramatically. Everybody who doesn't have money, which is the bottom 90%, what is their principal source of wealth? Their house. House price appreciation for expensive houses is way up since 2012, but overall, real U.S. house prices are down 10%. So the Federal, the federal Reserve, by buying all of these assets and making interest rates super low, has caused people to 
look for yield by going into riskier assets, which are stocks rather than bonds, and even actually going into junk bonds as well. But the people that can do that, the people that are actually investing, are the richer people, not the poor people, and not as much so as the middle class, even though we may have 401ks and so forth. So these, the very wealthy have seen the stock market go from 6,000 up to, I mean, it, I think it was like 28,000. So that's four, and it's quadrupled in the, since 2010, in 2009, 2010, because of that. So they've seen huge increases in the wealth inequality because of the asset chasing that they're doing. There's a huge bubble within the stock market right now. And whereas the most people that are in the middle class, their major source of uh, wealth or their major source of, uh, yeah, their major source of wealth is their house. You have a house, you're paying on it. Most of your money is tied up in your house. You might have a little bit of a 401k. You might have a little IRA. You might have a little bit of savings. But the vast portion of your wealth is your house. So moving on with the article. On the regular regulatory side, the Fed made it more difficult for banks to cater to small businesses and other borrowers who are less well-known and higher risk. At the same time, the Fed has made it so that lenders don't have to worry about catering to a broad cross-section of borrowers precisely because the Fed's regulation and its too-big-to-fail doctrine lower the relative opportunity costs of ignoring borrowers at the lower end. So banks are not loaning money to small businesses as much as they had in the past because it makes more financial sense to loan it to the larger corporations who are less risky and so forth. Meanwhile, ultra-low interest rate policy leads to yield chasing, which favors the already wealthy at the expense of households of more ordinary means. Yield chasing pulls money out of safer, more conservative investments, favored by people with modest means, and drive more investment towards riskier, hard-to-assess investment instruments. So we're looking at a, a world right now where we have, in America, we have huge discrepancies between the very rich and the poor. Their, the wealth discrepancy is, is, is huge. And it's a cause, the cause, the root underlying cause is the Federal Reserve's policy since 2008. Elizabeth Warren just wants to go in and tax those people rather than getting to the major issue. The major issue is the Federal Reserve. And if you just sat there and read Ron Paul's book, End the Fed, you might know something about that. There's a, there's a, there, there was a huge following of people in 2008 and 2012 that were, that were starting to learn a little bit about federal, the Fed's policy in America, how it causes these booms and bust cycles. And it, gives it, it makes it easier for the very wealthy and the corporations to take out loans for money. I mean, look, it, but you don't have the ability of the lower class, the, the poorer people or the middle class to get access to that money. Money printing always goes, whenever the money is printed, it always goes to who first? Obviously, it goes to the federal government's hands. And the next step, when they print money, goes from the federal government into the well-connected. And eventually, it trickles its way down slowly to the, to the poor and middle class, right? That's just what happens. And so the, 
and then you start to see the inflation happen. So inflationary policy, if your goal is a 2% inflationary policy, then if you have $10,000 saved and it just sits there, not getting interest or anything, it's just $10,000 sitting underneath your bed, then you're going to lose 2% of that value every single year. Um, that's savings. That's a tax on savings. When the person that gets, when the government gets that money, if, if they print a trillion dollars and they have it first, they get to spend it as if it's a trillion dollars because it never hit the economy, right? It's never, there's no inflation on that money yet. And as it trickles down, it finally gets to the people and it's already been inflated away. The value of that trillion has already been inflated away. So the, the very well connected are the ones that are going to get that money first. That's what I'm getting at. And that's how you're seeing the very rich, the very wealthy, those people are, you know, the value of their portfolios, the, val- the, the amount of wealth that they have accumulated in homes, in stocks and bonds, in their businesses, um, the ownership of their businesses, those, that inflation has happened with them. And all it is is it's affecting the, the poor Elizabeth Warren has a solution to the problem, which is going to be, I'm just going to go and take and confiscate their money. When what you could do is try to end the Fed, end bad Fed policy. And when you do that, you're going to not have to use force to solve a problem. And that's what libertarians are for, is we're, we're we're against the use of force. And anytime there's a government policy in place, the government has to use force to enforce it. It's, it's, it goes without saying. So I just wanted to bring that, in, that little bit of information to you. I hope I was able to explain it okay. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has this major proposal to tax the wealth. It sounds good. It sounds great. All it is, though, is a way to get the government's foot in the door. So eventually they come after your wealth also because... That's what the government does is they want to take as much from you as they can. And she was she won't even look at or address the root cause of the issue. Actually, no politician will address the root poli- the root cause of this issue, which is Fed mani- manipulation or the Federal Reserve manipulating the economy through their quantitative easing, the easy money policies that they've had their idea that somehow they can control or command and control the economy through intervention intervening in the economy and all that is doing is causing the mass wealth inequality that you have today and it's wrong and i hope that elizabeth warren will be honest in looking at that and maybe come up with a better proposal than just going off and taxing the wealthy because the government's not going to spend that money better than she will anyway or than than the than the rich person would anyway i don't think okay so let me go ahead and wrap up this episode i'm sorry it's going a little bit longer than i expected i just really wanted to bring those issues to you if you have any questions feel free i actually just started a a twitter handle it's going to be i on the empire or at i on the empire and that's going to be my twitter handle so if you would like to comment or have communication with me, go ahead and just go to I on the Empire at which is at Twitter, and you'll be able to find me. Okay. The next thing I ask you to do is go ahead and rate the show, review the show, and subscribe to the show from whatever podcast 
or podcatcher that you are listening to. I appreciate you listening. I hope that you'll come back again and listen some more. And if you'd subscribe, you'll be able to do that. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. My name is Ray Eaton. I'm your host of ION 2020. And let's keep our vision clear as we look forward to the 2020 elections. Make sure you have 2020 vision for the 2020 election. And you'll find that on ION 2020. You have a great day.